0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. Today is just a short episode. I just want to talk about the Alabasta saga and the arc and sort of give it a review of sorts. So yeah, just just a bit of an unscripted episode really. First of all, the plot. I think this is definitely one of the better arcs or sagas in the entire run of One Piece so far. I mean, the plot is awesome. It's a sprawling epic about a band of pirates helping a princess fight back against an underground criminal organization that's plotting to take it over by inciting a civil war costing the lives of thousands? I mean, that right there is a pretty cool premise. But yeah, I think... What's so good about this plot is that it keeps the tension up all the time while slowly introducing us to various elements that kind of builds up the overall plot. And so by the time you get to that climactic finale, it's just incredible because you've got all these small things that have built it up, all culminating into this big battle at the very end. I mean, going all the way back to Whiskey Peak to the end of Alabasta is just you have all these different things that keep adding more and more layers to it and adding more and more stakes as well as just our overall attachment to each character and each story beat and the villains themselves it's really incredible how they seem to all work together and then by the time it's over there's just this incredible cathartic release when luffy lands that Gomu Gomu no storm and just punches crocodile through the ground it's freaking awesome not only that but this entire story arc and saga really took some huge steps in terms of world building and just sort of explodes the the world of one piece i mean we get introduced to the grand line well not introduced to it but we are actually in the grand line and just see how vast and how varied and how dangerous this place can be given all the hype that it was built up to in the east blue saga and then we get introduced to the sort of the navigation of grand line with the log posts and like filling up the logs as well as all the different islands and like the how the climate works in the grand line and i and that's one of the things I really love about Oda and how it, that shines through the entire series is just those little small details of like, how do you get from one island to the next? What's the climate like? how are the different ecosystems affecting the other islands as well as anything nearby like the water the waters near it and yeah just the amount of detail that goes into and how much thought goes into all of that is pretty incredible and we saw a lot of that in the East Blue Saga but I think once they got to the Grand Line we got to see way more different um, interpretations of what different islands could be you know from Whiskey Peak being this sort of like just this outpost town and then you have Drum Island island with the with the winter feel to it. Then you have the jungles, a little garden, and then finally we have the deserts of Alabasta. I mean, we went through a whole gambit of different environments. But not only that, but each island has their own sort of politics and sort of different economies and different cultures obviously with Little Garden kind of being the exception to that as there's no real government or economy or culture really but I mean you still have Dory and Broggy and their story as well but yeah similarly we get introduced to a little bit more nuance to the marines with the introduction of Tashigi Smoker kind of making bigger not again not introductions but sort of just being introduced to a more Deeper side of Smoker and Tashigi, as well as being introduced to Hina, and sort of the mention of the world government and the sort of the overall leaders of the government, with Smoker mentioning those geezers, which we haven't met yet, but they'll probably play a bigger role, I'm assuming. And then we also get a lot bigger view of just the enormous power increase of the Grand Line. You know, we saw it with Mihawk in East Blue and we got a taste of it but now we're seeing all these different devil fruit powers and just what a shibukai like crocodile could be and then having to face someone that has a devil fruit like that and and then you'd have all these like varied devil fruit and, and abilities that you see throughout the entire series and people using just sort of common fruits i guess in very unique ways as well and you just see the, the sort of the power increase in in the enemies that the straw hats have to face you know it's a stark contrast going from enemies like Dong Krieg and arlong to people like Mr. 2 and Mr. 1 as well as Crocodile and seeing these different enemies and Mr. 3 even you know he was kind of a pushover but at the same time he, he incapacitated Zoro, Nami and Vivi and almost had Luffy too if it were not for Usopp. So you have all these different enemies and it and it's yeah everything just expanded and amped up even more and i think overall this arc is just fun like it's each island is like distinct and really fun and, and you know and it's really funny too i think one of the one of the highlights of this section of one piece is just the comedy it's just hilarious all the way from the the uh, twin capes uh, when they meet laboon to <laughs> to drum island and all the shenanigans that happens with the Lapan and with meeting chopper <laughs> and then just the absurd comedy in Alabasta as well you know this this uh this stretch of, of episodes in this whole saga is just full of comedy gold and i and i think this is one of the few areas where we're you know early on earlier on in one piece the it strikes a pretty good balance of the comedy being really funny while also still maintaining that tension and that high octane action that the series is known for going forward you know it, it i guess comedy is still a very present thing in the story but i i do think that it kind of takes a backseat to the dramatic tension as well as the action i think one of the most exciting aspects of this story arc and this saga is the the setups the Things that aren't necessarily contained within the Alabasta saga, but sort of like they have setups for bigger, wider uh, stories that will have yet to be paid off for like thousands of chapters you know things like the laboon you know him and and his reunion with the strong hats as well as just the shichibukai we've now met two shichibukai and there are still five of these monsters still out there and luffy's defeated one of them you know it's you still want to see what the other five are like. You have more nuanced takes of the Marines as well as sort of their structure and the politics within the Marines with that conversation with Hina and Smoker and their ideologies like sort of conflicting off of each other and this whole theme of justice and strength you know playing out. And then you have things like Elbaf. We we get this sense that this is now Usopp's goal to go to Elbaf and see the the giants home island and this has now become kind of part of his dream. It has a much more concrete goal as opposed to when they first left. It was sort of the be a brave warrior of the sea, but now he's actually got some form of an actual destination that he needs to go to and it's not so much more nebulous. And then the big ones you know, the the story threads for the will of D and the fact that Gold Roger's name was Gold D Roger. He was a D like Luffy is. And what does that even mean? Like, what is the will of D? What does that have to do with the fact that Gold Roger was a D? And that whole can of worms opening up along with the poneglyphs and the real poneglyph, you know. This concept of these mysterious stones holding history as well as the ancient weapons and this whole like history of one piece is now being introduced too. that there's this world that's happened in the past that holds a key to the mystery of what's going on right now and then incorporating robin's dream into the fact that there is a section of the world's history that seems to be missing And that is Robin's goal to find that out. And now we have this sort of bigger overarching story with her dream being fulfilled. And so, yeah, you just see all these really cool setups for for story threads going forward within the, the Alabasta saga as well. And then kind of just like looking at the sort of the overall tone and structure of one piece i feel like the Alabasta saga really cemented that sort of tone and structure it helped to establish var- various characters personalities and traits especially the straw hats you know we've got the idea that uh zoro is the super buff guy like he is just overpowered strength and you know but before L- zoro is strong but i think in Ala- during the Alabasta saga We finally get this idea that Zoro is just like ungodly, like super strength, like physical brute strength. Then you, you know, establish the whole idea of Sanji being sort of the undercover and like this, you know, the ace in the hole type character. And then obviously, you know, we have Usopp being more of the support character. And then I like the fact that, yeah, Usopp and Nami are still the weaker characters, but they both establish, establish like their own very unique fighting styles especially with Nami you know before the Alabasta arc not even the saga but before the arc before she gets the climb attack you really didn't know how she would actually contribute in a fight because up until now all she does is wave her stick and it was really cool to see that okay this is how Nami actually fights she uses her brains and her knowledge and she beats them using that knowledge and it's really cool that Usopp is the sort of the enhancer that allows her to be that uh useful fighter when previously yeah she really didn't do much when you really look at all the fights i mean she didn't even do any fighting in Al- in Arlong Park clearly and even in even in Little Garden and Drum she was incapacitated in both arcs and yeah, I really liked that we got to see a lot of the crew members grow in these varied and meaningful ways. I mean, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I mean, Luffy especially, he starts to learn what it means to be an actual leader. Like up until now, he's just been kind of doing whatever he wants. But there are moments in this story where he actually is a leader. And he takes note of that and that he has some responsibility. And I like seeing that growth in, in Luffy. And yeah, you just sort of see all of that grow throughout the episodes, especially in relation to Bibi, seeing all the different characters play off of Bibi. And then with the introduction of Chopper being the the youngest member of the crew, they all kind of take a sort of mentor role with him, with Luffy, and especially with Soap taking on sort of like this somewhat of like the the mischievous uh, older brother while Zoro takes over that sort of that position of being the um, the strong older brother type role and so they both take Chopper under their wings and it's fun to see that dynamic play out as well as you get to you get to see the deepening of rivalries between Z- uh, Zoro and Sanji obviously you see them being more adversarial towards each other and having those little snippy one-liners back and forth and and the, those are really fun to see as well as you you see the deepening of the sort of roles you know that were established in the East Blue Saga with Zoro taking on sort of that leadership role during like the intense combat moments while Nami takes over the the command of just making overall day-to-day decisions as well as logistics. And then you have sort of the, the fights. I think the fights are a bit hit or hit or miss in this entire saga. Like the, well, pretty much everything before Alabastus kind of was lackluster. You know, Whiskey Peak didn't really have a fight aside from fighting Mr. Five and Miss Valentine. But the Straw Hats are like so overpowered at that point that they don't even really register on <laughs> Mr. Five and Miss Wednesday, or Valentine's Radar. And then, you know, L- Little Garden was a little bit more entertaining, but more so because it was funny, not because the fights were epic. And I think, yeah, Luffy struggling with Miss Golden Week's um, colors trap <laughs> was funny. It, yeah, it, That still cracks me up. And then, yeah, obviously the Drum Island fights were all really lackluster as Waple wasn't really much of a threat and his powers weren't really used that effectively and again Luffy is just so overpowered compared to people like Waple it's just there's really no tension but man it really makes up for it once you get to Alabasta like the Alabasta fights are amazing and again we see sort of the growth and upgrade of what we saw in Arlong Park with the crew battles and Yeah, this is One Piece at its best is when they have these sort of crew battles, seeing a crew against another crew and having these one-on-one fights and that's really like one of the highlights of One Piece as a whole and in terms of the entire series is when you get these sort of moments and it's, unfortunately, it's rare but it's also good that it's rare because if it happens too often, it loses that sort of the specialness of, of that. So seeing this on this scale like the Arlong Park was awesome seeing that but seeing that amped up like almost 10 times with the stakes with the enemy power levels and with just the brutality of each fight I mean each member just gets freaking brutalized when you look at it like how much damage they take compared to the Arlong Park fights and and each one is so good like each fight is really great on its own, and there are some memorable moments in all, in all of the fights. Whether it be Usopp's, you know, you can't you can't laugh at, at a at a Nakama's dream. Whether it's Nami taking that spike to her foot and then firing the tornado tempo, uh, Sanji doing doing the well, actually Sanji's entire fight is memorable. But the wall shot and just him trying to fight a a nami clone and then you know obviously with zoro's shish son son like his final attack and then you know luffy's fight against crocodile all three of them are memorable and even though yeah this is the first time we've seen luffy lose not just once but he gets his ass handed to him twice which is a crazy thing to, to see in in a story like this to see your hero just get totally decimated two times in a row. You know, obviously that buildup though, oh man, by the time he finally gets Crocodile, that is freaking awesome. You know, just seeing the Gomu Gomu no Storm in that moment and the way that's handled in the anime is incredible with the music and the animation. And yeah, the the fights in Alabasta more than make up for the sort of lackluster of the earlier parts of the saga in the first three islands, I think. But yeah, I think overall, though, if I was evaluating the fights as a whole, it is fairly hit or miss. And then finally, uh, just sort of th- more logistical things. I think the this the saga overall in the anime, it's very f- light on the fillers, thankfully. You know, there aren't very many fillers. There's just a few fillers in between the episodes, um, in between island arcs. But it's nothing too pervasive. And the animation is actually pretty good on the whole by One Piece standards, you know. They're mostly pretty well animated, pretty decently paced. And there are a couple episodes that obviously look like they were rushed. And sort of the shading and the lighting and the modeling look a little, <laughs> look a little lazy. But I think overall, when it counted, it, it, it really hit the mark. And obviously, you know, there's that one initial punch on Crocodile that still bugs me. How cheap that looks. But beyond that, I mean, everything else looked pretty damn good. And so, yeah, on the whole, I would say the Alabasta saga is really, really good. I mean, it's still one of my favorite sagas of the entire series. I think, you know, it's probably maybe third or even second in terms of my favorite arcs in the, or uh, sagas in the entire story. That kind of depends on how the current arc you know or the saga concludes but you know I think I think it definitely deserves to be in the top three of my favorites for sure you know we'll get to the other the other arcs when we when we get there but uh, yeah I think Alabasta is is really good and it really cements One Piece as a series that should be watched and if Arlong Park didn't hook you getting through the Alabasta saga you're pretty much on board I don't see how you can get make it to this far into the series and not be like, I need to see more. And it's because so many so many things were done right during this saga. But yeah, those are my thoughts on the Alabasta saga and the Alabasta arc. And I will be going on a sort of a mini summer break, I guess. I'm gonna take a couple weeks off, so no episodes for I'd say about the next two weeks, but then I'll come back with an episode talking about the many, many filler episodes leading up to the next saga or the next arc. But yeah, I'll see you on that episode. But until then, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment. If you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. You can check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast for updates. And yeah, obviously no spoilers, so... (laughs) So I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.